Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And on today's episode, I'm joined by my buddy and the lack of mustache guy, Bones. So, hey. Hey. Thanks. I still look good, though, right? Yeah, you look okay, if looks mattered. Good thing your personality is equally as bad, so we'll go yeah. ahead and carry on. Thanks. <laughs> well, yeah, you got a good face for radio. Yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, yeah, it is. Yeah, how you doing, man? Everything's great. Scout got a new uh, collar, not a collar, no, a new collar. Yeah, you got a new is collar. Is he in the today. room with you right now? Nah, I got a little one with me. I was gonna say I want to see him. Yeah, I know he's gotten bigger, but I want to. I got, I got this one today. Yeah, there she is, this, the little rider making an oh, appearance. Oh, girl. Yeah, she's just the best. She's just the best. She did a Christmas episode with us once. Yeah, and she, then she got a little shy for the past year, so she hasn't been on. <laughs> but here she is. Yeah, All she's glorious. She's she's a good kid. Scout's yeah. over there, probably chewing on the couch. Yeah, has he? Uh, is he a good boy or is he a bad boy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good boy. He had explosive diarrhea this morning. I don't know what happened, but he's great. I take him. I've just been taking him. Probably, yeah. I've been taking him to work with me he just rides in the trunk and chews on his bones and stuff and he gets yeah. to see some stuff so i've been taking him in my car and he's been good it's cool that it's uh like cool enough to bring him with you so that yeah yeah that's cool he likes to run alongside the car and everything so i won't yeah, come here i won't say where i used to do this but one of my former workplaces i used to bring annie to work with me and she would sit under the desk while i while i worked and then she would sit in the car when I had like meetings or whatever, and people would always like, "Oh, you're abusing your dog." I'm like, "Dude, she's got hot dogs in there. She's fine." <laughs> How is that dog abuse? Because it was they like, thought it was too cold. Oh, it was too cold. This is probably the only time of year I'll be able to do this until like very late fall. It's way too hot in the summer, but it's like 50 degrees right now, and yeah, it's, it's perfect, perfect for him. Anyways, Beautiful he's day. over there doing stuff. So, yeah. how are you? You feeling good? Yeah, feeling good. Uh, what's what's for dinner? We had a wonderful venison and ground beef mixture meatloaf with some air fried potatoes and steamed steamed vegetables. Hmm, I've heard that that's the best way to have your vegetables. Yeah, that's, I have not had vegetables I, any I other heard, way. I heard that's the best way to have broccoli. Yeah, the broccoli. <laughs> God, it still sounds so good. It shouldn't sound way. that good. No. I yeah. was doing it to Jess the other night. And she's like, "What? What is that?" I was like, "It's just broccoli calabrese." Every time do you make when you make broccoli now? Every time do you say it like that? I'm gonna do it like that now. Yeah, you should. Uh-huh. Every single time you make broccoli calabrese, that's how you have to say it. Yeah, it's pretty good too. It's pretty, pretty very Italian worded, so it's kind of easy to say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So speaking of Italian, we're gonna talk about some history today, buddy. You ready to go on a little, little adventure? I'm always ready to go on an adventure with you. All right, here we go. Okay. The date is May 4th, 1950. Oh, fucking goddamn. I thought you were... 
May 4th, 1992. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening? We're going to talk about the day Bones was born. <laughs> or, yeah, born, not Bones conceived. is life. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Anyway, on May 4th, 1950, mm-hmm. in the Capitan Mountains of New Mexico, an operator in one of the fire towers spotted smoke and called the location into the nearest ranger station. It was first reported to be started by a careless cigarette butt being thrown on the ground. Mm. The first crew discovered a major wildfire sweeping along the ground between trees, driven by a strong wind. Word spread rapidly and more crews reported to help. Forest rangers, local crews from New Mexico and Texas, and the New Mexico State Game Department set out to gain control of the raging wildfire. Mm. On May 6th, a second fire known as the Capitan Gap Fire started in the same general area. Together, these fires destroyed 17,000 acres of forest and grasslands. The monetary loss to private property was great, but the loss to the environment was even greater. But the story doesn't end there, Bones. On May 8th, a 70-mile-per-hour wind made it impossible to control the blaze. As the crew battled to contain the blaze, they received a report of a lone bear cub seen wandering near the fire line. They hoped that the mother bear would return for him. Soon, about 30 of the firefighters were caught directly in the path of the firestorm. They survived by lying face down on a rock slide for over an hour as the fire burned over top of them. They were rescued miraculously without any fatalities, but later expressed the opinion that they knew just how a slice of toast feels. Nearby, the little cub had not fared well. He took refuge in a tree that became completely charred, escaping with his life, but also badly burned paws and hind legs. The crew removed the cub from the tree, and a rancher among the crew agreed to take him home. The New Mexico Department of Fish and Game Ranger heard about the cub, and when he returned to the fire camp, he drove to the rancher's home to help get the cub on a plane to Santa Fe, where his burns were treated and bandaged. News about the little little bear spread swiftly throughout New Mexico. Soon, the United Press and the Associated Press broadcast his story nationwide. I, I know what this is. And many people wrote and called asking about the Cubs' recovery. The state game warden wrote to the chief of the Forest Service offering to present the Cub to the agency as long as the club would be dedicated or the Cub would be dedicated to a conservation and wildlife prevention publicity program. The Cub, soon on his way to the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., became the living symbol of Smokey Bear. Yogi the Bear. Oh, Smokey the Bear. I know, yeah. That's awesome. What a great, what a great, uh, yeah. What a great story here. Yeah, so. So that's, that's how he came to be. He, sur- he survived the fire. Smokey was a cub. And this, this fire, I read quite a bit about it. I'm not going to share a ton about a lot of the details. But yeah, it was started carelessly by someone tossing a cigarette butt they were probably camping or some such there's no real history on how it actually started but yeah they found this bear cub and a couple years prior so in 1946 
the Forest Service was trying to find a mascot for uh, basically wildfire prevention, you know, just a mascot to spread the message about recreating responsibly. And they came up with Smokey Bear. But Smokey Bear didn't really have an image or a persona yet. He was just kind of this creation of the Forest Service. And so this baby, this cub, this baby bear became Smokey Bear. And I want to clarify something that's been a heated debate for many years. Bones, let me ask you this. Is it Smokey the Bear or is it Smokey Bear? I always thought it was Smokey the Bear. You would be incorrect. His name is Smokey Bear, not Smokey yeah. the Bear. Well, that debate will go on to the end of time because <laughs> in my world, in my country, it's Smokey the Bear. <laughs> well, I'm telling you the way it is, is Smokey You're not going to cancel the Bear. It's Smokey Bear. No, no, it's not. So let's continue our story about Smokey Bear. Smokey no, Bear. Smokey received numerous gifts of honey and so many letters that he had to have his own wow. zip code. He Do remained bears even like honey. Yeah, bears like honey. Do so they? one of the one of the big ways that you can so like when you hunt bears, for example, uh-huh. if you're going to hunt bears on a bait pile, okay. what you do is you create. I mean, it's kind of fun what watching people create whatever they want, but you take the sweetest thing you can find. So like Captain Crunch mixed with molasses, mixed with donuts, mixed with whatever marshmallows from Lucky Charms, and you mix it mixed all together. You on yeah. Valentine's Day. That's right. That's right. All those things mixed together. And then that is bear bait, essentially. Mm. Bears love sweet stuff. So honey, okay. yeah, obviously. I mean, that's a natural source of sweetness. Mm. Um, so yeah, bears do, in fact, like honey. Pooh Bear was legitimate. Pooh Bear was legit, dude. Yeah. He often ran out of honey because he just couldn't stay away from it. He, he couldn't keep his pants on about honey. He really couldn't keep his pants on about the honey. That's that is so true. Yeah. So Smokey remained at the zoo until his death in 1976. Hmm. Upon his death, he was returned to his home and was buried at what is now known Smokey Bear Historical Park in Capitan, New Mexico, Hmm. where he continues to be a wildfire prevention legend. So yeah, Smokey Bear. Everybody knows Smokey Bear. He is the guy on the signs that said, only you can prevent wildfires. Mm-hmm. And it's a national icon. I mean, you probably, do you have memories? You're, you were pretty outdoorsy young man. Do you have yeah. memories of Smokey Bear growing up? Um, you know, I'm just trying to look up Smokey Bear or Smokey the Bear. Because I think this is going to turn <laughs> into a debate. you fact-checking me right now? No, I believe you, but it is really Smokey Bear. It's crazy how it became so popular as Smokey the Bear. Yeah. I guess it I always matter. thought it was Smokey the Bear, too, until I started working uh, in the DNR and found out it's Smokey Bear. Hmm. Smokey Bear. I mean, Smokey Bear sounds cool. Smokey the Bear is cool, too. Um, so growing up, I don't have too many memories of Smokey. My bear of childhood memory was Yogi. Oh, yeah. Far less influential uh, as far as, you know, helping the environment. But Smokey wasn't a big, I don't remember, have a lot of memories as a child about Smokey Bear. Yeah. I think I had a, a stuffed animal, Smokey Bear. He had like a little like forest ranger hat. Yeah. Yeah. 
He oftentimes, uh, when he's depicted, he's depicted carrying a shovel around in the woods. And mm-hmm. why do you think he carries a shovel around in the woods? Um, to to knock down honey from the bees. Maybe, but you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, a little. Yeah, that's a good guess, buddy. <laughs> Listen, okay, yeah, yeah. Shut the fuck up now. Yeah, this so is what he did. It's part of he his probably, fire prevention routine. Yeah. yeah, so dirt, dirt goes on the fire, probably that's or right. something, right? Yep. Yeah. Or if you're digging a fire line or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to start this off. Smokey Bear was not the entirety of the episode. I wanted mm-hmm. to introduce okay. Smokey Bear. He's obviously, I think this year was his anniversary, his 75th anniversary, I believe, mm. of Smokey Bear, his 75th birthday. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about wildfires cool, and what they are okay. and the role that they play. So a lot of this information comes from National Geographic and from science.org. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about wildfires and... Uh, Yeah, see where the conversation leads. So what is the role of a wildfire? It might seem counterintuitive that a fire, which burns plant life and endangers animals within an ecosystem, could promote ecological health. But fire is a natural phenomenon, and nature has evolved with its presence. Many ecosystems benefit from periodic fires because they clear out dead organic material. And some plant and animal populations require the benefit fire brings to survive and reproduce Mm -hmm. so yeah it's very Mm -hmm. counterintuitive you wouldn't think that burning would create new life yeah it's like the old stuff uh outgrows like trees get really really tall and prevent sunlight and nutrients from getting to the floor for new life to come on yeah um so once like the old shit just dies off yeah the new stuff never has a chance to grow, so it also exactly. is just dead. Therefore, so, a fire is necessary to kill it quickly and get new growth there. I'm going to use right? my backyard as a good example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're pretty much spot on. My backyard, technically it's not on my property. It's somebody else's property, but I'm going to use that as an example. In the backyard, there are, I mean, hundreds of mm-hmm. giant trees, pine trees, oak trees, maple trees, huge the biggest birch tree i've ever seen in michigan tallest i mean it's very large very tall here's the thing so those are obviously all very old and that's cool seeing a big ass tree as you know is a very cool thing but when you walk through these woods the undergrowth is all dead there's a lot of standing trees that are dead that are probably, I mean, a couple, a couple years old. Some of them are younger, some of them are older, but none of them could make it because the canopy is so tall. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the, the role of the wildfire that takes out some of those older trees and gives the younger ones a chance to thrive and survive. Um, so let's get back into it. So for example, as dead or decaying plants begin to build up on the ground, so we think about that like you're autumn when leaves all fall down and collect that may prevent organisms within the soil from accessing nutrients or block animals on the land from accessing the soil this coating of dead organic matter can also choke outgrowth of smaller or new plants so when humans perform a prescribed burn the goal is to remove that layer of decay in a controlled manner allowing the other healthy parts of the ecosystem to thrive hmm. nutrients released from the burn material um, which includes dead plants and animals, return more quickly into the soil than if they had slowly decayed over time. 
in a way, fire increases soil fertility. And farmers have been doing this for centuries. Uh, prescribed burns on farm fields, burning the, the previous year's like refuse or compost or whatever to create more nutrients in the soil. So, mm. yeah, there's a lot of benefits. And controlled burns happen uh, fairly regularly. Uh, the forestry department in the Michigan DNR, we, I've, I haven't been a part of a prescribed burn because I'm not in the forestry department. But it does happen every couple years. Uh, one of the sites that we manage has a prescribed burn. Like I think it's like every six to ten years. Um, and they just did it like three years ago. And on the surface, it looks really horrible. Like it's like, why would we do this? It looks really bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but in the long in the long term, that allows for new ecosystem and more fertile soil and mm-hmm. all the fun stuff that I just talked about. So. Mm-hmm. You remember yeah, in that, uh, they, they do that out here in California too. Yeah, they do like prescribe or controlled burns in Yosemite, and pretty often. And I think their reasoning is probably multitude growth, new growth and stuff. But also, they don't clean up the forest floors. Like I've never seen forest the floor of a forest like so like dead and like crazy mangled mm-hmm. uh, than I have in California because they just like let it be like let nature be nature yeah. Yeah. in a sense where in Michigan it's like they go through and like things are cleaned up like dead trees are pulled out and taken away or whatever they just don't do that here so they do a controlled burnout here partly too because I believe they want to just control what is inevitable inevitable yeah right and the other they thing too is if and they an accidental the wildfire happens and these controlled burns haven't Basically, if you don't control burn, if an accidental wildfire occurs or a, a natural fire occurs, which we're going to talk about what can, uh, what can make those start, the fire is going to be way more intense if mm-hmm. there hasn't been any type of assistance. Now, part of it is protecting monetary investment. So in nature, it doesn't matter if the forest floor has been cleaned up or if there's decaying matter or whatever. Like nature is going to do whatever it's going to do. But now there's houses and there's Yosemite National Park, which is a financial investment of the U.S. government. I mean, it's a beautiful natural area, but it's also a financial investment as well. Or like at um, uh, Sequoia National Park, Mm -hmm. if you don't do some sort of controlled burn, things are going to get out of hand quick. And those big trees that everybody loves are going to be gone. And then there's no national park anymore. So, mm-hmm. uh, there's a little bit, th- there's a lot of different factors that come into controlled burns and I'm not, by no means am I an expert on it. Uh, but I know my fair share. So let's continue. Uh, even some animals depend on fire. The sole food source for the endangered Carner blue butterfly caterpillar is a plant called wild lupin. Wild lupin requires fire to re- maintain an ecosystem balance in which it can th- uh, thrive. That's so without fire, the lupins do not flourish, and the caterpillars cannot consume enough food, undergo metamorphosis, and become butterflies. Well, fucking burn it all then, dude. I want butterflies. <laughs> in this way, healthier post-burn plant populations generally have broad food web effects that trickle up to the foragers and other animals in the ecosystem. Similarly, animals that use pine trees for their homes benefit from the germinating powers of fire. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, it's hmm. interesting stuff. Hmm. When, you remember yeah. um, in 2020, the Australian wildfires, do you know if those were started naturally or if they were started, were they man-made? Because mm-hmm. those were obviously, I mean, horrible. Yeah. I can't remember what the cause was. I just remember like the entire coastline, uh, Australia. I'm pretty sure it was the coastline. I can't remember. It was just, I felt like the world was ending. There were so many things going on yeah. that year. Yeah. It was just like COVID was crazy. And then like the Australia was on fire. Yeah. Like all these kangaroos and quals were dying all yep. this life. Yeah. I don't know what the cause people, was. People, I mean, people were losing everything. And there was, yeah. I, there was some big wildfires in California that year too. Uh, there's kind of, there's big wildfires in California kind of every year, but man, that was probably the worst year. And I I was going to mention that at some point in this, uh, episode too, because it's obviously really big thing out here. Mm -hmm. The 2020, we moved to California and I showed up there for the first time. Jess had been there for a little bit. We were both in Fresno for the first time in April. So April, I got there and I like met some of the friends that she had made at that point who are still great friends today. And we were just, they were just like, Hey, let's go to the pool. Great. Let's go to the pool. And the forest fire was so bad up at Shaver Lake, which is just in the mountains. And then Fresno is like right below it. So all of the fire and the soot, everything, the effects are coming down into Fresno that like I would look up to the sky while we were sitting at the pool and you couldn't see blue. It was just like debris. Like there was like, yeah, uh, it's crazy. I don't even know how to describe it. Like a, a river above you, yeah, of just soot, debris, ash, and um, yeah, we shouldn't have been outside. I like went. I had never experienced that before, but uh, so I was like, ah, oh, whatever. It's just a fire. We be outside. But then you go look at like the weather service, and it's like everybody needs to stay inside because like yeah. air quality was like a thousand. QI or whatever they rate it as. Yeah. Um man, a crazy crazy year 2020. The that Dolan or the the Shaver Creek Shaver Lake fire, I forgot what they called it, the Dolan fire, or the Creek fire, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Was just one of the worst things that like destroyed that city up there, Shaver Lake. Yeah. Yeah, that was I I remember when I moved to Colorado, uh that was my first experience with any type of wildfires as well. There had been some pretty large ones in the immediate area around Canyon City before I got there. And then while I Mm -hmm. was there, we experienced two, I think, one of which was more serious than the other. But one, like, same idea. I walked outside my house, and there was ashes falling. uh, Mm -hmm. And you could see the fire over there. So there was the uh, Skyline Drive, and then there was a big mountain range right there. You could see the flames on the backside of the mountain range from my house. Hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, what, what, what is this? Like it's the, the sky was red and it was crazy. It was super crazy. Yeah. Um, totally different than what we experienced in Michigan all yeah. lately. Like, I mean, but we did do an episode uh, yeah. last year, yeah. the great Michigan fire, which is like one of the worst fires in, in history. Yeah, absolutely. Michigan kind of has a different ecosystem now. And also would figure out how to control these things. Yeah. as, as, Science has continued to, as we've continued to gain knowledge and develop the science behind uh, wildland firefighting and forest management and whatever, the better we've gotten. I mean, obviously, there's been lots, plenty of mistakes made by all sorts of governmental services in all sorts of states. But the further along we get, the more we learn, the better Mm -hmm. things are going to go. So, um, 
like a good example. This is a I'm totally going to throw the DNR under the bus right now. But back in the 70s in Cadillac, there was a naturally occurring marsh um, that was like a pike, like a northern pike spawning ground. And so the pike would swim up this little river that would lead into the marsh. And then they would breed and there would be lots of pike babies. And it was great. And though and the marsh would feed Lake Cadillac and Lake Mitchell. At that time, they were just, I think they were just called the Clam Lakes, mm. the Clam Lake, whatever. Um, but yeah, so the, the spawn would go back down the little river out into the lakes, and then there you go. There's your, there's your pike. So in the 70s, the DNR was like, oh, well, we can turn this into a pike farm. So they dammed up all of the natural waterways except for the one that led out to the lake and they're like yeah we're just going to we're just going to farm them and then we'll we'll stock pike and all the like nearby bodies of water and it didn't work it didn't work at all the pike stopped breeding they didn't migrate up the stream anymore and the marsh dried up <laughs> mm-hmm. and so now where the dams used to be in that marsh area because they had arguably ruined that ecosystem for a uh, for the long, short term at least they made that there it's the heritage nature trail right behind where our hunting and fishing visitor center is now and the marsh itself has sort of come back and whatever and uh it's definitely not like it was but i'm hopeful there's some pretty probably easy ways that the dnr could fix this it would just would would require somebody to care enough to make some noise about it. Um, just taking out some of the old dams that have become sort of earthen walls and you just mm-hmm. take a bulldozer in there or a backhoe. Anyway, the more we learn, the better we get. Nobody's yeah. perfect. Uh, and it's unfortunate that stuff like that has happened, but yeah, just well, something uh, interesting. It's just weird that like, we feel the need to like fix something that's not broken. It was clearly not broken. Yeah. <laughs> and it like, was like a huge let's do something to yeah. make this better for us. Yeah, right. And it was a duck habitat and a fish habitat and all. I mean yeah. it was like a a really nice wetland area and mm. it's now like a swamp. That's not yeah. all that great a habitat for anything but beavers. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow, I didn't know that. So <laughs> yeah, interesting. Next time you're in Cadillac, we'll go to the Heritage Trail and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, so let's carry on. Perhaps surprisingly, the animal casualties from wildfires are low. Animals survive by burrowing into the ground or fleeing to safer areas. Conversely, fires can help rid an ecosystem of invasive species that have not adapted to regular wildland fires. Hmm. Which I thought was really interesting. Uh, invasive species have become really big. In the last, I'd say like 200 years, uh, with the invention of more easy ways to travel, there's a lot of invasive plant and animal species, fish species. Obviously, they're not affected by wildfires, but um, they, a lot, they just don't belong here. And mm. there's a lot of those that have gotten really out of hand, too, yeah. um, which is annoying. Like kudzu in the south, like in southern U.S., coats everything and that is an invasive species they there's another plant called the tree of heaven and it's like uh similar to bamboo but way worse you cut one down 10 more grow like it's horrible um and they choke out natural naturally occurring species so it's shitty 
Hopefully it's all pretty crazy. Like the, <laughs> the, the repercussions, the unknown repercussions of like human advancement. So like travel airplanes, you know, cars and just like setting up national parks and state parks and recreation areas. And people can go from one to the other fairly quickly across the country or different countries. And something as little as like just using the same boots, using the same yeah. gear can transfer these invasive species. Like who would have ever known or seen that coming? I mean, maybe they did. Well, the, they didn't yeah, care enough, but it's the just big crazy. issue uh, before people really knew how damaging to natural ecosystems that invasive species would, would be is like bringing in plants and animals from overseas in other countries. When you talk about like, I'm going to take uh, a fish, I'm going to take a perch from a lake in Michigan and transplant it to a lake in Colorado. Like, yeah, the, the perch is probably not going to be a naturally occurring species, but it will probably adapt to a similar ecosystem and be okay for the most part. Like that, that happens all the time. There's a lot of non-native fish species in most states that mm-hmm. are just good for recreational fishermen essentially that's what it that's what they were used for um but it, it gets the mud the waters get really muddied like with uh zebra mussels for example mm. those came from overseas uh on uh intercoastal uh like freight ships and now they're a huge issue they things have gotten a lot better with zebra mussels over the last decade but man they were really bad in the Great Lakes for a long time. So um, anyway, yeah. Hmm. So fuck invasive species. Don't do that shit anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> while animals and plants in fire-prone ecos- ecosystems uh, have adapted to thrive within the cycle of wildfires, invasive plants and animals are less likely to recover and could thus be controlled or even eradicated from the system that they invaded. Prescribed burns are well established way are a well established way to prevent more devastating natural naturally occurring fires. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this. The buildup of decaying organic matter on the ground is fuel for wildfires, and without periodic fire to clear this out, naturally occurring fire may grow and move quickly, doing much more damage than a prescribed burn and without its safety parameters. Mm. Prescribed burns are really interesting, um, and it's a very technical process but it can get out of hand i've i've heard about prescribed burns that have gotten out of hand um and it's not a good it's not a good look (laughs) becomes a wildfire at that point pretty much yep yeah so that's that's about naturally occurring wildfires we're going to talk now about man-made fires um and most of this information comes from science.org and we're going to start off with talking about bones's state california So fire has always been a part of California's natural history, but several centuries of human settlement have created new conditions that promote its spread. Studies have shown that human ignition is to blame for 84% of all wildfires in the United States and 97% of of all of those threatened homes. Human sparked fires always seem more extreme, says Stin Henson, a fire ecologist at the University of California, who led some of this research. Hmm. But the quantitative measurements of how fast they spread and their impacts on ecosystems in California has not been explored. To probe the differences between natural and 
um, man-made fires, Hansen and his colleagues compiled daily high-resolution high satellite data for 214 wildfires that burned in California between 2012 and 2018. They drew parameters around detected hotspots for each wildfire from day to day. Then, the researchers measured the distance between each day's uh, perimeter to the next day's hotspots to calculate, on average, how fast the fire grew daily until it was extinguished. Human-sparked fires typically spread about 1.83 kilometers per day, more than twice as fast as the 0.83 kilometers per day for lightning-induced burns. Today at a... or uh, Let's see. A virtual meeting of the American Geophysical Union. Um, they report that the faster spreading fires also burn more intensely and killed double or triple the trees as slower lightning caused fires. So naturally occurring fires. Yeah. So man-made fires. This would be defined like as someone threw a cigarette butt yeah. or was lighting fireworks off or was doing a gender reveal. I was just going to say or, the gender reveal. You know, all sorts of stuff. And that makes sense that it moves faster or does more damage because typically those will be done in areas where people, other people are, yeah. where therefore there's more like flammable things, you know, yep. cars, gasoline, houses. Houses blah, are blah, very blah. flammable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Surprise, <laughs> weird. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't like intuitively you think, oh, it's a fire is a fire, a fire is a fire. They should move the same rate. Yeah. But no, it, it makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And it's all, there's a lot of things that come into it too. Like a natural wildfire on a day with like low winds might not be that big of a deal mm. and it might burn out, but a natural wildfire and you've got high winds and, and, and dry tinder on the ground, like rotting material on the ground. Mm -hmm you're done it's over yeah. <laughs> that's what california runs into it is it, it's so dry in these areas yeah uh th yeah. we've been fortunate from i think in my three years i know but i think this has been a really really wet winter mm. for sure the wettest winter since i've been here we've had tons and tons of rain compared to the other two winters that i've been here yeah at uh last summer i don't believe we had too many wildfires that like got out of hand at all i don't remember any like any big huge issues okay and then hopefully i think this year will be the same yeah it seemed like where this when, summer when you first moved out there it was pretty bad and then it's sort of gotten a little bit better yes yeah, yeah seems like it's been a couple good years yeah um <laughs> so yeah let's pick back up here uh yeah. the human caused fires have a disproportionate impact on the ecosystem says hansen and though the ecosystem is fire adapted, it's not adapted for 80% of the trees to die, like we're seeing with some of these really intense fires. So here's the thing. There's no inherent difference in the chemistry of a human-sparked fire and a naturally occurring fire. Like, fire is fire. Um, it's, it, it's all the surrounding things that matter. So causes of a fire range from... Improperly discarded cigarettes, sparking power lines, um, lightning strikes, dry thunderstorms. I mean, hmm. those are just some of the causes. So mm -hmm. now we're going to talk up a couple of ways. And this is where Smokey Bear comes in. We're going to talk about a couple ways that only you can prevent wildfires. Number one, Great. 
Check conditions before you head out. Look for drought-like conditions, especially dry, windy, and hot. So here in Michigan, I don't know about in California, we have a, there's a lot of signs, especially in more natural areas where people are going to be camping or whatever. There's signs with Smoky Bear on it that are changed, all you know, weekly, daily, whatever depends on your risk of starting a wildfire, basically. So like, mm-hmm. if it's a high risk or very high risk. You're basically, it's not allowed, you cannot have a fire uh, mm-hmm. while you're camping. It's not, you can't do it. Um, and then there's medium, medium and then low risk. So um, that's the system that we have in place. And I'm guessing most states probably have a similar one. Um, number two, as much as you can, build your fire in an open location away from flammables. Better yet, build your fire in a deep, established fire pit. It may be illegal to have a uh, fire on the open ground depending on where you are. So here's a couple more tips going along with that. Select a flat, open location away from flammable materials such as logs, brush, decaying leaves, or needles. uh, Scrape away grass, leaves, uh, and other needles down to the mineral soil. Cut wood in short lengths. Pile it within cleared areas and then light your fire. Stay with your fire and then extinguish it completely before leaving. So I'm going to touch on two things really quick that I see frequently. Number one, um, in the state of Michigan, if you're camping in a state park or state forest campground, it is illegal to have a fire in a non-designated area. So we have fire pits for a reason, and the fire pits that we have are deep and kind of obnoxious. I would I like I would love to provide feedback to somebody who actually does stuff with the fire pits because they're too deep and they need a cooking utensil. So like we've tried to use dude, it's really hard. They need like grates or something on there. So mm-hmm. I can understand so some t- of the frustration, but talking about grates like out in Yosemite, everywhere in California has like a yes. grate on the fire. You're talking yeah, about the, that. Okay. Like, yeah, like okay. the old school steel fire pits sure. typically had the grates on them. Mm-hmm. The ones that we have in Michigan are um so steel like corrugated steel cement and then corrugated steel on the inside they look really good and they're impossible to move so no, people can't steal them mm-hmm. um they're very difficult for cooking that's the biggest downside of them plus we uh we have at least the the park that i manage and we work out of we c- keep our fire pits shoveled out to a certain point all of them are shoveled out to a certain point to mitigate sparking people get kind of bent out of shape about the fact that they don't like how deep down the fire is but it's like listen buddy we just don't want a wildfire so mm-hmm. um but yeah so it's actually illegal if you're if you're in a state park or state forest campground to have a ground fire outside of a fire pit it is legal to do it on state land so if you're outside of a campground it's legal to do um extinguishing it completely before leaving man people just don't do this they'll leave and we'll be doing camp check or whatever and there's fires still going and it's just like i'll take i've taken my water jug out there before and just like dump water on it and most of the time i just take a shovel out there and turn it over until it stops but just extinguish your fire that's crazy yeah it's especially out in the state forest like you go do a run in the morning and people's fires are still going and they're gone. It's like, I mean, cool, that's man. crazy. That's great. Really fuck? love to see like, that. It's one thing, like, if there's an emergency, you just, like, leave. 
but you'll never know the reasoning, right? But so yeah. you just look like a jackass and really, really stupid. Yes. That's like leaving the garbage disposal on and you go leave your house. <laughs> yeah, like, you freaking you're, potato. You're missing something. <laughs> yeah. Pretty big, significant. Yeah. Not good. So right. going with that, uh, douse your campfire until it's cold. What I like to do if I'm camping, unless it's really like when we were in, fr- uh, when we were in Yosemite and it was 20 degrees, I did not kick the fire down before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. In Michigan, typically when I camp, as long as it's not super cold, I will, you know, spread the fire out before we go to bed and it'll mm-hmm. be cold by the time we wake up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, in Yosemite too, there's pretty strict rules. It's loose. It goes by seasons. In the summer, you can't have a fire between like nine or 10 oh. and like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. Like okay. you can't have a fire at night. Um, and sometimes you're not allowed to have a fire at all in Yosemite, depending right. on like the, the seasons. Yeah, the and then when risk. we, when we went, it was like, do whatever you want. Cause yeah. everything's wet. Yep. Uh, except, you know, it has to be within the fire pit. Of course. Yeah. We would have died without that fire. <laughs> Dude. So, so cold. Yeah. That was the coldest camping I have ever been a part of. By far. <laughs> oh yeah. Me too. By far. And we've done that before. We did it like two years ago. We went to yeah. Yosemite and this was way cold. This was like that. 15 degrees is such a big difference, especially going from yeah. like 34 down to like the teens. Huge, yeah. huge difference. It was crazy. Our, I was really happy with the way that our insulated ground pads performed and our uh, camping quilt performed. It, but if I had any bit of skin outside of the blanket, it was immediate like, yeah, I'm awake and I'm miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. As long yeah. as it was covered and off the <laughs> ground, I was actually pretty, I was yeah. good. It was great. It was actually, it was nice. I would have loved it. I mean, it's a badass story. We were tent camping in Yosemite in the middle of winter. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty yeah, cool experience. Cool. But man, I would have loved to stay there a couple more nights. But it's just, you need like a camper. You need a couple like amenities just to feel a little bit better when you're trying to yeah. be most comfortable. Yeah. I mean, just having the right gear helps a lot. Yes. Like, I think if if you guys would have had some better stuff, because Jess's stuff was all right, but yours was not. <laughs> Mine was and, shit. So like yeah. the tent we had, we rented. She rented a sleeping bag, but she rented like a really good sleeping bag. I had a sleeping bag that I used for just like all sorts of camping. Yeah. It wasn't shit. It wasn't good. I didn't have the right stuff. And uh, as, as a really good quote out there, it says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear. That's true. Yep. So... Camping in Yosemite, good times. Fire was totally necessary. (laughs) Uh, And we digress. So we're going to go back to the list. Number four, keep vehicles off of dry grass. Why do you think that is? Gotta, don't know. I don't know. Why? Your exhaust temperatures can reach up to 1,000 degrees. Holy fucking gosh. So Satan's exhaust butthole. Jesus. Yeah. Yep. So it's. It's it's one of those things that's like not super likely, but if you want to play it really safe, that's a good tip. Huh. Uh, number five, maintain your equipment and avoid uh, malfunctions and sparks. So sure. vehicles, if you're running a chainsaw, I mean, whatever, whatever the equipment is, just maintain it. Make sure it's functioning properly. And the one that might ruffle some feathers and I'm OK with that. I don't give a shit. Don't use fireworks while you're camping. It's annoying mm. as shit. And all, all, all it does most of the time is start a fucking fire. Yeah. Um, and it pisses off the rangers who work because you're not supposed to have fireworks anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's nothing really. Yeah, I totally agree. 
there's nothing good that comes from fireworks. Never. It's just, it's for stupid little, I'm yeah, it's going to, people love fireworks. I mean, I love fireworks. Yeah. Fourth of July. Wow. What a spectacle. Very controlled area. Even then accidents happen. But if you're lighting off fireworks, like by yourself, there's fireworks that goes on all around the city here on fourth of July too. People just lighting them in their backyard. Man. It's kind of, it's it's like, what's the The, best? Wow. They look really cool. In Cadillac, we have a really nice, uh, firework display over the lake. But the problem is, uh, like out in the state forest campgrounds, people are just lighting bottle rockets off and doing stupid yeah. shit. They're drunk. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, just don't do I it. Mean, things go boom, man. It's cool. Yeah. Go do it at your house and light your own shit on fire. Even then, you're probably going to light something else on fire. Yeah. Neighbors. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's some tips about how to prevent forest fires as Smokey Bear would love for you to do, mm-hmm. uh, and just go out there and have fun and recreate responsibly. Yeah, that's really, really, really cool. I didn't know the origin of Smokey Bear. I read a little bit about something when we did the Michigan Fire episode a long time ago. Yeah. And somehow that situation led into Smokey Bear. Can't remember how. We'll listen to it again or, or not. Someone can listen and tell us. Uh. Yeah, very cool. Smokey Bear. There's a lot of firefighting out in California is a big deal. So, yeah, even in the Central Valley, especially, uh, but there's fires all over the state. I have, God, like, I mean, just at the gym alone, there's six or seven guys and ladies that work for Cal Fire. Yeah. Or a city department. But those guys, like they, 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 they have gone or worked for Cal Fire or are still currently working for Cal Fire. Yeah, and man, fucking crazy occupation. I've had uh, old couple old buddies that I went to high school with that worked for uh, wildland firefighting in like Montana and Alaska and all over the country. They went oh, yeah. around wild, wild occupation, extremely difficult. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine. You know, they've. I know they have personally lost friends and people that they've worked with or have worked in, you know, like pretty close by. Yep. And it's extremely dangerous. So just hats off to them and they're have the respect and um, appreciation of everybody until the end of time for what they do to help keep, keep everything safe and functioning and people's property and lives and nature up to like what it needs to be to function. There's been, hero workouts like that are dedicated to yeah. fire chiefs or people that have lost their lives. And there's one this weekend about two for two guys that lost their lives. I think it was wildland firefighting. Mm. And it just goes to show how dangerous it is. And somebody has to take responsibility for whether it's natural or man-made and those guys and ladies that take responsibility, risk their lives to put some of this stuff out. There needs to be very, very high accountability for people who, start yeah fire wildfires because you at at a certain point i mean the amount of property that it can destroy the people that it can kill animals that it kills yeah wild and firefighting man that's a whole different ball game when it comes to like dedication to the job Mm -hmm. and what like just the the serious courage that it takes to do that work uh speaking of cal fire i a couple of guys that my fr- uh, parents made friends with at the Blue Swallow were mm-hmm. high up, very, very high up in Cal Fire. 
and like they were leading huge response teams and um Papa Dwayne and Spanky, those are their that's their motorcycle names. Um but <laughs> they were both very integral parts of Cal Fire for 25 plus years. So huge hats off yeah. to everyone. My Ranger hat is tipped to all of the people who yeah. do wildland firefighting and and it, yeah, it's an incredible thing. So yeah, it's, uh, they I think just talking to some of them, it'd be cool to have one of them on uh, to talk about their experiences. Yeah. I think they when you when I've tried to talk to them about it a little bit, they're not they don't shy away. But it's like, you know, when you do a service like that, the reception when you talk about it, it's like, like, man, what a courageous thing you do is like, eh, I don't do it for that. It's all in day's um, work. It's 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 a big brotherhood and sisterhood thing. Like they're very, yeah. very tight knit community. It's a huge fucking challenge. Yes. Um, just because you're, you're, I mean, if we think about it, they're out there with the group of guys for some, sometimes weeks on end. Yep. You know, outside of service, outside of everything, they pack everything in, they pack everything out on their backs. Yep. And uh, it's just like, this is a challenge and the job needs your to be done. Your life literally depends on your fitness to do the job. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And that's, it's really cool to see. That's probably the number one occupation I've seen where fitness is, is the standard where they're doing these hero workouts and workouts and, and training and it's it's for a very specific purpose and the whole entire industry seems on board with it yeah um, the the fire the cal fire departments um the buildings where they're stationed i think almost every one that i've seen has like a rogue fitness set up like squat racks and like yeah rowers and, and stuff like that it's been really yeah. really really cool because obviously it's they need it um yeah, it's it's been definitely uh, was a culture shock at first for me personally. Coming from Michigan, wildfires were something I've never ever seen before. Yeah, coming to then probably one of the number seems like one of the number one places for wildfires is the Central Valley in, of California. Right, and it was huge culture shock, but really new appreciation for the power of nature and the power of people to put that nature down if it needs to happen. It's definitely something that draws me to the field that I'm in and I've I've put a lot of thought into to transferring over to like the forestry department of the DNR or going to work for the forest service um because I just have really come to value our natural spaces and helping to maintain protect and preserve we protect the land from the people and the people from the land and yeah. we preserve that too <laughs> so um it's it's an awesome thing that I'm glad to be a part of. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't imagine, I wouldn't have thought I would be. So let's end on a, a higher note. Uh, let's, we're going to stick with fire for a second. We went to Sequoia national park. Yes. And that was one of the coolest experiences. The first time I've been there, I know you, you had a really cool experience. The I trees are fucking unbelievable. It's like you're a different planet. Yeah. It's it's something that you can't even explain until you see. But it's the just bark, like you'd imagine a brontosaurus would walk through the sequoia yeah. trees. <laughs> it's like it's ancient, right? It's ancient, and it looks like because uh, Star Wars was filmed there. I mean, uh, Endor, yeah. right? It's, I mean, that's it's so dense and old and large. Yep. Uh, but so though the bark of those trees, the sequoia trees, is like really spongy. Remember yep. touching it? It's like super oh, yeah. soft and like very like moist. It's like a moist cake moist sponge and that's to help protect from uh fire yeah and you noticed 
a lot of those trees were like burnt up, but they're still growing and they're still alive. But when they drop their pine cones, like they're really small pine cones, and they have seeds in them to like rebirth their trees, right? It's like one of the hardest things to crack, I guess, open because of fire. Because you guess my thinking of it, I don't know for sure, but after hearing you talk, is these trees grow so large and, and dense that a lot of the undergrowth doesn't have a chance. Yeah. So therefore, when they drop their pine cones and their seeds, they have to be really like closed up. They stay closed for like 25 years or something like that until they like open up again mm-hmm. and like the seed pops out fire like won't even impact these pine cones and seeds so when fire does come through there's still a chance for this new tree to grow life yeah um and i know this because i read the plaques <laughs> read the plaques at your national parks yeah and you'll learn it's a true. thing the it's it was interesting too though at sequoia because they still do a lot like the national park service still does a lot of uh fire prevention with those trees especially the big named old trees uh, they'll wrap, you know, the, f- the fire, uh, protective blankets around the base of the tree and, and whatever. Yeah. 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 Literally. Um, but it's, it's amazing to see some of those trees with the fire damage that they have and they're totally fine. They'll live, they'll be here long after I'm gone. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Those trees are unbelievable. So yeah, if you, anyone has a chance, it's, it's worth it just to make a trip to california to go to sequoia to go to Yosemite. absolutely yeah sequoia was incredible those are the two biggest ones uh you can see some amazing stuff that nature has to offer so yeah okay yeah thanks bones and thank all of you yeah leave us a review we like meat and trees and nature and fires if they're controlled so we'll see you next <laughs> week goodbye <laughs>